All right, this is the Uncommon Consensus podcast, episode number two, with me, your host, Ryan McBride. And today, my guest is Mick Naples. Mick, thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. It's good to be here. So today, we're going to talk about uh, one of the teachings you gave at YSU. Is that correct? Sure. Yeah, that was last July now. Time's flying, but uh, it's going on a year. But yeah, I gave a seminar down there last July. So... For anybody who's listening to this, if you haven't listened to the seminar yet, I'd encourage you to listen to that first. And Mick, where can they find that? It's on YouTube, actually, and I'm sure you'll be linking it to the podcast as well, right? Yeah, I can do that. Yep, and it's called, uh, I believe it's called Live Your Life Yep. by Mick Naples. Pretty sure if you just type that in on YouTube, it pops right up. Yeah, I think so. So what what drove you to do this speech and, well, you actually referred to it as a teaching rather than a speech. So what kind of made you decide, hey, you know what, I want to do this? Yeah, so for me, it was kind of uh, personal on a few different levels, actually. Um, you know, I just, and this is actually something maybe we'll get into later. I don't, I don't know what, uh, what direction you're taking us. But for me, the, one of the most important characteristics or qualities of somebody to have in life is self-awareness. And uh, as I look at myself, as I look at the things that, that God's gifted me in, uh, one of those things is, is definitely communication. You know, I, I don't say that with any hubris or arrogance, but um, I just wanted to speak. I wanted to teach. It's something I, I love to do. And I was learning all these things about life, learning all these things about myself, and, and I just I just wanted to share it. I just wanted to get it out there and kind of take the first step into what I, at the time at least, hoped would be kind of a career or adventure. I, I don't exactly know what I thought was coming, but uh, I thought it was going to be big, so I, I did it. What's kind of just a, a brief summary of, of what this teaching was about? Yeah, so basically I uh, just, I think it went uh, just under an hour, and it was just, I believe, six lessons kind of that I just pulled out about things that I'd learned about life, things that providentially God had taught me, experiences, scenarios that I found myself in, and just uh, a lot of those lessons learned the hard way. And just, again, just uh, many of them are axiomatic. So in sharing parts of my life with others and the things that I've learned therein, those things I hoped would be applied in the lives of others to hopefully save them some, some pain, some mistakes, some hardship. Yeah. So I obviously listened uh, to the teaching and I, I basically wrote down just a handful of questions that I have about it that I want you to kind of elaborate on. And this is why I mentioned it'd be beneficial for people listening to listen to uh, the teaching first. But even if even if you don't listen to it first and you listen to this, I think I think they're going to be able to get a lot out of it just by going through these questions, because a lot of these questions are just applicable to life. You know what I mean? So one of the things you mentioned was being yourself instead of trying to imitate others. You elaborate on that a little bit yeah sure I think that's a really important point and uh, again even as I just said I think self-awareness kind of plays into that but I got into this kind of phase where I started following a lot of entrepreneurs and different things and just uh, and, and you don't even have to go to some super popular well-followed 
internet persona to see this. You can see it with the people around you that people wanting to be, wanting to emulate other people. And that's not bad in, in some sense when people demonstrate and are the embodiment of qualities that we find admirable. You know, in some sense, we ought to want to be like them. But I think that a lot of people kind of take it too far and they forget that you know, they're, they're not this other person. They're trying so hard to be this other person and, and they're not, and nothing's going to change that. And so there, there's a sense in which, you know, you have to be yourself. And I, I don't think um, we need to, I think we need to be careful because on the other side of that is using that mantra to kind of cover up the many shortcomings and of ourselves, the things that we do need to work on. You know, if you have something that you need to work on, you don't just say, well, that's just who I am. You know, if you have an anger problem or, or you're, uh, you're bad in relationships or you're a procrastinator or you're always late or you're a liar, or whatever your tendencies are, you know, you, you don't just say, well, that's just who I am. No, you, you need to change those things. Those are not good qualities, but in some sense, you are you. And that's, that's not all bad, hopefully, anyway, right? Right. I agree. Like, obviously, we all have traits that we need to work on and bad traits. But sometimes if we look at somebody else and say, I want to be like that person, we're almost setting unrealistic goals for ourselves. Yeah, I think that's a great point, because, again, no matter what we do, we are not going to be that other person. You know, part of what I talk about in the seminar is uh, the just the things that we share in the human experience itself. It's not unique in that sense. But again, there's a tension there because we are actually unique. No matter what I do, I'm not going to be you. I'm not going to be Gary Vaynerchuk or Grant Cardone or any of these other internet personas that so many people are just going after. You know, I'm, I'm me. And in some sense, I got to do my own thing. Yeah, absolutely. So how do we get the best experience out of life? Ask me again in 50 years. <laughs> uh, Lord willing, you know, anyway. But uh, no, you know, that's that's a great question. And uh, I do talk about this at the end of the seminar. And uh, really a life-changing read for me was uh, the philosopher Seneca wrote a, a treatise called On the Shortness of Life. And uh, I, I commend it to anyone for their reading. It's a really sobering read and uh, it's very dense but it's it's very just very appropriate very poignant very applicable and uh, basically I would say that insofar as I can think through it and it's something I'm very poor at but I, I think one of the key aspects because I, I don't think there's a simple answer to this question I don't think there's one axiom but one thing that I, I keep kind of going back to when you even when you use the word experience is we have to live life in the moment you know, Seneca kind of talks about people um, being fascinated with, with the past or just yearning for the future. And when we find ourselves in either of those situations, we actually fail to live in the present. We're always focused on something else. And I can think back to even being a little kid, like my family would go to Giaga Lake. If you're old enough to remember what Giaga Lake was, it was kind of a cool place but you know whatever it might be you're, you're looking forward to that vacation you're looking forward to that next phase in life whether it's graduating high school or college or getting married or having kids or maybe having the kids out of the house whatever it might be you're always looking forward to the quote-unquote next best thing and 
while that's happening, you're actually failing to appreciate, failing to be grateful, failing to enjoy the station in life that you are currently in. It's inevitable. And, and it's so difficult to live in the moment. Yeah, I think that's where sometimes that's where I find myself is fascinated with the past. Like you said, you're kind of like, you know, I miss the old days. I miss these times. And right. And like I know for from personal experience, I, I get into um, a mode where I just feel like I'm living in a, a, a monotonous present right now. Sure. Like it's just so monotonous. I'm like, well, I'm done with school. So, you know, it's just wake up, go to work, do it again, kind of get bored. So trying to just bring out the, uh, the best in uh, the present time can be difficult. I thought sure. my phone was on silent. We'll let it slide this time. Just, just don't let it happen again. There's a, there's a trap door over there that, you know, I'll hit a button and you'll disappear or something. Not really. But you know what? Uh, on that point, though, I think, and this is kind of something that I'm just continuing to work through, always thinking through this tension. But I think we need to be careful too, because I, I think it's easy. And and I was guilty of this. I, I came out on the other side of this endeavor coming to this realization that we have to be careful of seeking everything to just be exciting. You know, you talk about the monotony of life and it's like, you know, life is, is in many sense, in many senses, in many ways, it's simple. You know, even, even the Bible commends a, a simple life and we need to be content. You know, we need to find contentment in the things that we do. So that there is also a danger even like you said, even even going back to the original point of always looking ahead, you know, uh, a friend of mine actually said it this way. He says, uh, oftentimes the things that we end up settling for, quote unquote, are the things we should have been going after in the first place. So I think I think there's a fascination, particularly in Western culture, particularly in American culture and society, where we are just fascinated with that adrenaline rush, with the with the spotlight, with the self glory, and and all those things. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, if we can be that honest, we'll admit that those cannot possibly be the things that bring fulfillment to life. Right. And the and the evidence of that is that if you look at all these people that all these people want to be the movie stars in Hollywood, the the millionaires, the billionaires, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, they've got the same problems that the rest of us have. Yeah. They really if do. Not worse. Yeah. They're miserable. <laughs> yeah, they really are. You know, and Jim Carrey, Jim Carrey came from nothing, you know, and he's he's a millionaire and, and, and he has a great quote. He said, you know, I wish everybody would just get rich and famous and have all their dreams come true so they could see that it's not the answer. Yeah, because eventually you get to a point where once you have the next best thing, you're chasing after something better. That's and it's it. almost like an endless cycle. And that's when, you know, you, you fall into you can some dark spots. No, I, I totally agree. And, and, I, and I've been there. And I mean, you don't you don't need to have millions of dollars to, to get to a place like that. And, and even these people that, that do have, quote unquote, the life we all want to live, the American dream, what have you. These novel experiences, they at some point always still become the norm. They become that, quote unquote, monotony. You know, yeah. so like you said, you're always looking for that best thing. And, and when that's your mindset, there can never be satisfaction. There can never be contentment. 
And that's, that's danger. You know, a lot of, you know, I, I, when I kind of started down this road, I started following and becoming a part of all kinds of entrepreneurial groups and stuff on the internet. And uh, they all kind of describe people, quote, stuck in the nine to five, you know, as, as slaves, as trapped. And, you know, in some sense that could be true. But, you know, I see just as many trapped people in the entrepreneurial space who are just slaves to the next best thing. Yeah. And that, uh, that reminds me how you said, like, the... The Bible says it's good to have like a, just a quiet life, working right. hard with your hands, and I think you could definitely get um, a good life experience just out of that. Like you said, you don't need the money. Even somebody with a bunch of money, nice cars, they might still have the same feeling of, of monotony as somebody who doesn't have all those. Things. I guarantee they do. Yeah. That's why they're always you know, searching for more. In some sense, that hunger is good. You know, we don't want to be lazy. We don't want to be sluggards. But in some sense, you can be a slave to that hunger. Right. Because it be, it becomes your meaning of life. That's right. That's All well those said. things. So. <clears throat> All right. So you gave an example. Well, it was actually a little experiment. You told everybody to think of their favorite show and then raise their hand and tell you their favorite show. And then you said... Now think about what you want to do for the rest of your life. And it, most people didn't raise their hands up. Why do you think it's easier to think of something so trivial as oh, my favorite show, but something that's even more important? This is what I want to do. This is, you know, what I want to be. It's so much more difficult. Yeah, um, I would say probably because, at least in part, I think, again, I think there's a, a myriad of different ways you could probably answer a lot of these things and think through these things. But by nature, I would say we are adverse to that which makes us uncomfortable. And being that transparent and honest and real with ourselves about these ultimate questions and what am I going to do for the rest of my life? What is my purpose in life? Life after death, you know, the question of faith and God and Christianity and all these things. You know, people are uncomfortable being that honest with themselves. And I'll, I'll kind of bring that back down to the specifics of your question because there's a, there's a lot of ways we could kind of incorporate that, examples I just gave. But the truth of the matter is it's, it's easy to flip on Netflix and, and say, I, I love that show. And just, you know, hey, heck yeah, I love that show. I like this show. I like this show. It's easy. But when you ask somebody something that's like, my life, my whole life. And for some people, they don't think for, they don't think past this time right now, their life. This is everything to them. You know, as a Christian, I, I have, by God's grace and, and you know, thankful to, to Jesus Christ for his work on the cross, I have an eternity with God to look forward to in, in, in heaven, in, in glory. You know, I didn't deserve that. But, you know, that even becomes more uncomfortable to people when they're considering their lives, when their lives is really all they have to live for. Yeah. And, and that's where a lot of my thinking takes place as well is, you know, how do I live this life to its fullest and yet still keep still keep my view towards eternity? You know, and, and, and there's a huge tension there, a huge tension. And it's it's something I, I wrestle with on a daily basis, just kind of figuring that whole thing out. I, I think the answer is that we just are meant to live in that tension. I, I think it keeps us sharp in many ways. But it, it still uh, it still leaves questions. It still leaves concerns. 
Yeah, and that that actually goes into the next question. Living your life means getting serious and getting out of your comfort zone. Um, yeah, because a lot of the times when you want to go after something or you want to change something, it's never not. What's the word I'm looking? It's it's always uncomfortable. That's right. <laughs> and and I feel like a lot of the times that idolization of comfort can almost paralyze you. Yeah, and I, I don't think you, I think it it does paralyze you. And and this is this is a biblical axiom, a biblical principle as well, is that our emotions are are a gift from God. They are strong though, and they are not meant to master us. And so often they do. And that and that fear, that's that's part of what we're feeling. And and the and the principle then becomes we need to do what we know is right, not act according to how we feel. Because I never feel like leaving my comfort zone. I never feel like going for it, taking a risk, taking a step out. But things are so ordered. And, uh, and, and actually, Will Smith said this, but he, he said, things are so ordered that the greatest experience, experiences in life lie on the other side of that comfort zone. Yeah, it's just the way it's just the way it is, you know, and, and this is I kind of went into this in the talk in the in the seminar that, you know, you, you look at look at people who are married, for example, you know, that's that's one of the most important things on most people's minds, you know, and that's that's kind of a simplistic outline. You, you grow up, you go to college, you get married and I'm just giving an example, you know, I, I'm OK with breaking the paradigms in in different ways and whatever. There's no blank slate or, um, you know, set way of things per se, but. You know, that's that's generally the norm. But, you know, people that got married, they stepped out at some point and and asked their now spouse to to go out on a date. That's that's uncomfortable. Even to say yes, it's, it's uncomfortable. It's it's novel. It's different. And and that which is unknown is inherently uncomfortable. There, there's there's a sense of fear there, exhilaration, excitement, anticipation, anxiety. It's all present there in this in this big this big uh hodgepodge of, of feelings and it, it's a it forms a strong barrier that, that it's tough to get on the other side of but I, I think the quote is right I think the principle is right the greatest experiences in life lie on the other side of our comfort zones and I'm glad you brought up the word fear because a lot of the times being uncomfortable comes with fear and I fear I, I think sometimes that fear is a false sense because really the purpose of fear is preservation from you know death or harm and a lot of times we fear seeking that comfort and maybe it's fear of failure yeah i think some people could be could be afraid of of failure um i i can honestly say that i don't think i i've i fear of failure is not something that uh that motivates me one one way or another really and unless we're t- unless we're talking about women, <laughs> because, <laughs> because because nobody nobody likes thinking about well if I go ask this girl out she could just tell me to go pound salt like like that fear of failure is real but like I've I've never I've never not gone after something because I thought oh, I'm just I'm just not going to be able to do this in fact and this is this goes back to self awareness um, I I really am of the mindset that you know anything I want to do I I can. I, I, I really, you know, by God's grace, of course, but I, I just, I just, I really believe that. And, and it's why, you know, sometimes I, I look at my life and, and think that I should be so much further than, than where I am. 
different status and whatnot, but you know, you you learn so much in in not being where you thought you would be. You know, I, I've I've learned so much, and uh, you know, as a Christian, you know, who believes in God's providence and whatnot, you know, all those all those things, all those bad choices, those missed opportunities, they're they're all working together for my good in some way. Whether it's lessons learned, my sanctification, my growth as a person, and character. Um, and holiness, all, all those things. So, um, so fear is huge, and and we're often ruled by it. Even that uh, fear, like you said, asking a girl out, and oh, she might say no. That fear is almost like it's just it's goofy because in reality, it's like okay, if she says no, so what? Yeah. So exactly. we we kind of have this. I feel like a lot of times the fear we have is just it's not real. It's a created fear. That yeah, it's in our minds largely. We amplify. I mean, like you said, who cares? And, you know, Russell Brunson, uh, he's basically the marketing guru out there right now. I've read some of his stuff. He's, he's a pretty sharp guy. But, uh, you know, he t- talking about fear, he said this. He said that uh, the way to fight fear is basically think of the scenario that you're having that degree of trepidation towards and, and picture, envision the worst case scenario. And then get okay with it. If you can get okay with the worst case scenario, you're cool with that, then move forward. Who cares? You're okay with the worst that could go wrong. And you know, that that comes in, that's a powerful, I think, way to even make decisions. It's like, if you're not okay with the worst case scenario, then then maybe you ought to approach a situation with with, uh, more of a degree of caution. I think we're talking about more than asking women out now, (laughs) you know, it's like, but... uh, you know, I, I think it's axiomatic in that regard. And especially if, if you get okay with the worst case scenario, because a lot of times it's going to be better. The outcome, even if it's bad, it's going to be better than the worst case scenario. That's right. A lot of That's times. right. You never regret taking that step out. You never regret. I remember I remember this one time, this uh, back in college, a long time ago now, actually, <laughs> it flies. But uh, I, I was in this class. I think it was a geography class or something. I don't know, but... Like one of the most beautiful girls I've ever seen in my life was in this class. So just like, like one of those, I was just like dumbfounded. Like this girl was just incredibly beautiful. And, uh, you know, I, I wanted to kind of approach her and just kept putting it off, putting it off, putting it off. And then one day she just stopped showing up to class. Like, I'm like, oh, that sucks. And, and you feel like, like you missed out on something. Yeah. Like you, you have that regret. You, you're asking yourself that what if. I hate asking that question. I never want to say what if. It, it's, it's awful and it, and it eats at you. But sometime later, I ended up running into this girl. Uh, she, she happened to be working behind the counter at Dillard's, actually. I was walking through the mall and she happened to be there. I'm like, that's that girl. And uh, so I went up to the counter and talked for a few minutes. And then, uh, then you know, I asked her out. I asked her for a phone number. And she looked at me and she was like, uh, I'm married. And I'm just like, I'm like, what? Like, how the heck old are you? She's like, I'm 18. I'm like, wow. Okay. But, uh, but here's the point. Like, I walked away from that shut down, denied, anything else you want to insert the blank there. But I was so happy. I was so happy that I went for it. 
I survived. I was still breathing. It's like, hey, that's not so bad. But I think part of the thing is, is that we don't put ourselves out there enough. We don't, we don't face that rejection often enough to, to get comfortable with it. Yeah. There's actually a really great TED Talk on rejection that I would in, encourage everyone to watch. This guy did this experiment where he went out and he just put himself in as many situations as possible to just get rejected. Like he acted, he asked people stupid stuff. Like he has, he went to a Starbucks and like wanted to be like a greeter at Starbucks just for free. He just started saying hi and like talking to these people that randomly walked in. He just was going for rejection, rejected, rejected, rejected. And it's like, the more we do something, the more comfortable we get with it. Yeah. And there's actually, there's a term for that. And I don't know what it's called, but I actually heard about it. I, I think it was on another podcast where something that makes you anxious or something that makes you scared or uncomfortable, if you just keep putting yourself in those situations, eventually that goes away. Like you almost become immune to it. Yeah. I think that's with anything that's with a new job. Um, you know, I know with me when, when I started, uh, you know, being a police officer, I was definitely nervous. Like every time I went on a call or whatever, but after you do it and do it and do it, you that nervousness goes away because you keep putting yourself in that situation now you still got to be uh alert right (laughs) but especially in your line of work yeah so but there's a difference between a a good anxiety and a bad anxiety if that makes sense like there's there's alertness being cautious heightened senses and then there's yeah i'm i'm afraid and i'm either gonna I think that's a fair distinction. I, I think uh, I think maybe even the good anxiety that you're describing might be better termed excitement. Yeah. You know, we, we are excited about things. You know, like you said, we, we're on we're maybe a little edgy, we're 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 looking forward to it, where our senses are heightened, all of these things, as opposed to this fear dominated anxiety, which is actually sinful, you right. know, in, in my view, you know. So I agree. so I think I think that's a I think we can make that distinction. Yeah, because with that, with that fear, you're at the end of the day, you're just you're basically not trusting God. Yeah, so that's true. Amen. Um, let's talk about planning endeavors. Uh, you explained that you didn't step out of your comfort zone at one point, and you bailed out More on than going, one point. <laughs> <laughs> and you bailed out on going to school for theology, and you explained that you were more attached to what you already had than what you wanted. Yeah, and so um, again, this this goes back to the axiom we already discussed about not being ruled and dominated by our emotions. In this case, fear. Again, uh, so I, I had a great opportunity presented to me. I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian. God saved me. God changed my life, and in so many ways, and uh, I'm so thankful for that. But I, uh, you know, I wanted to. I wanted to go teach theology. I wanted to go away to seminary and uh, get a master's in theology, master's in divinity, and maybe teach at a college one day or something. That's kind of the path I saw for myself. And uh, I had a very gracious friend who basically told me, you know, if that's what you want to do, like, I'll take care of it. Like, I'll pay for it. He handed me a check for $10,000 and said, this should get you started. And it's like, whoa, <laughs> like, yeah. like, that's like, I mean, that's like once in a lifetime. Oh, yeah. I mean, for me, it was like twice in a lifetime because the same thing happened the following year. But, uh, again, you know, just such a such a gracious guy that I'm, I'm so thankful for. He's just he's just uh, the embodiment of 
just Christian charity. I'm really thankful for him, and he's taught me a lot, particularly in that regard. But I, uh, when push came to shove, I just, I just couldn't leave. It, and it, and it's that, like you said, you know, it's that stepping past that comfort zone. It's, it's, um, you know, when you, when you have this fear, and just like we just talked about, if I would have gone. You know, you settle in and then that novel experience becomes something you're just used to. It becomes routine and you settle in and that anxiety, that fear goes away just like anything else. But I, I couldn't get there. I, I knew what I had to do in order to achieve what I wanted. And that brings it back to your question about planning and goals. I had a goal. I had the, a plan. I, I knew what I had to do to get to that goal, but I was unwilling to do it. And that kind of goes to the three-step plan you talked about, means, execution, and commitment. Yeah. So do you have the means to do something, and then you execute those means. And I think the, the, the third step's the, the hardest part. Yeah, because it's not, just, it's not just an instantaneous thing. Right. It's, it's, it's perseverance. Because a lot of us have the means, and a lot of us do for at least a time execute, but do we stay committed to that execution? Yeah, I mean the execute. I think you make a great point because the execution in and of itself is not necessarily difficult. I mean, maybe you, you know, I don't know. Uh, women just seem to be a great illustration for so many things. Like the execution, you know, approaching a, a woman, you know, that that can be difficult sometimes. But you know, execution broadly, generally, I would say, is not that difficult of a thing. And and if you want proof, go into any gym across this country on January second. It's packed. These people executed. They signed up for the membership. They're there. They're running on the treadmill. But you go into that gym in March and the place is a ghost town <laughs> because they weren't committed. They executed, right. like you said, but, but you clarified that. You said for a time. And then, and then they disappeared. They dropped off the face of the earth. Where are these people? Nobody knows. And a lot of things with, with the commitment is... I think some of the reason why people don't commit and you, you may not agree with me or you may agree with me. I'll let um, you know. <laughs> it's circling back to it eventually becomes uncomfortable. At some point when you're committed to something, there's going to be some time period where things begin to be uncomfortable. Elaborate a little bit. <laughs> I, know, I know you're the one doing the interview here, but uh, I'm going to fire back. What do you mean? All right, so... I'll give an example. I started doing jujitsu. Okay? okay. I'm able to pay for it. I have the means. Uh, I go to class. I'd say that's the execution in this case. Now, the hard part is staying committed to it. Even though I really enjoy doing it, um, you're going to have bumps in the road along. So I'm only a white belt. That's the lowest. And the highest is black belt. And they say it takes, it could take up to 14 years to get to the black belt level. Because it, it, this is a very strenuous uh, type of martial art. It's not just, you know, I'm paying for the promotion. I'm paying for the belt. It, sure. It's a lot different. There's a lot of work involved. And uh, a lot of times people say people will go from white to blue belt. And, you know, that might take two years. And then you never see them again. Because... You know, maybe the, I don't know if they got burned out with it. Like it was so hard just to get that blue belt. They feel like it's the end of the road. And they say just a lot of people don't stay committed to get, you know, to the to the black belt level. And maybe that's because laziness. Maybe it just gets hard. But 
a lot of times when you have a goal and especially if it's a goal that's not easy you may be committed for a time and then once things get hard you kind of shy start shying away from it and shrinking away from it because maybe you weren't expecting things to get hard uh kind of like in uh uh the parable of you know the sower i believe it is or you know people you know they're committed to the faith and then persecution comes or yeah. something gets hard and they yeah. shrink away and from they it shrink away that's good yeah yeah so in, so in that sense i guess i guess i could agree with you uh, um and, and I think that goes back to something we said at the beginning, that our tendency is to want that comfort in any context. Right. So, all right, let's move on here. This is, this is a pretty cut and dry statement. You mentioned it, and I'm sure people have heard this before, but I think it's good to elaborate on because it's a lot more important than we really think it is. And it's that we learn more from failure than we do success. And earlier I brought up, you know, sometimes there's that fear of failure. Well, failure is not always necessarily a bad thing. So um, sometimes more failures will in the future help you succeed. Yeah, that's right. And if you look at any quote unquote successful person, Anybody that's all these people look up to and whatnot, they'll they'll tell you the same thing. You need to get comfortable with failure. You need to learn to like failure because you're going to learn. You're going to learn and you're going to get better and you're going to move closer to where it is you want to go. You're going to learn about life. You're going to learn about the world. You're going to learn about yourself. Get comfortable with failure. Stop. And, and you know what? This This is fundamental and I think we get this wrong across the board in so many different contexts. We are taught from a very young age that failure is bad, but it's really not. Right. Right. I mean, that's what kind of what we're saying here. It, it, it teaches you, it molds you, it forms you. It, it, the, the adversity that you're experiencing brings, it builds character. All these things are positive things. Assuming Assuming we actually learn from them, okay? If you fail because you're making the same stupid mistake over and over and over again, we call that stupid. We call that <laughs> insanity, right? Doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting to get different results. You've heard that axiom, I'm sure. But failure is, is not a bad thing. And, and I think if we could get past that, um, p- many people w- would not be so afraid to fail, like I said, it's not something I can totally empathize with. It's it's not something. I, I mean, I fear a lot of things uh, wrongfully, but uh, failure is is generally not one of them. But I, I could see how that would stop a lot of people. And uh, one of the things that I've listened to that actually helped me with this, because fear of failure is something I personally struggle with. Uh, one of the podcasts I listened to, um, Jocko Willink. He was a Navy, Navy SEAL. Navy SEAL, I've heard of that. Yeah, guy. real good podcast. Uh, has a lot to do about leadership and just things along those lines. And he said that one of his business partners, uh, one of his lower subordinates, came up to him and said, you know, Jocko, you know, this got messed up. And Jocko says, every time that happens, I say good. And he said the one day... He comes up to me, he's like, Jocko, something happened, but I already know what you're going to say. And he's like, you're just going to say good. 
And I don't I don't understand why you say that. And 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 Jocker just elaborates. He's like, well, you don't get the promotion. Good. More time to get better. Uh, we don't have the equipment we want. Good. We can work on another project. So he's basically saying every time something fails, something good can come out of it, even if it's not directly related towards that failure. That's that's a great principle. That's a great story. I'm I'm glad you shared that. It's kind of uh it's kind of encouraging me now. I've I've got a lot of stuff on my mind actually, and that's that's really that's really helpful. I I think that'd be a great thing for people to come to a realization of. And do you think sometimes um, with something we want to con- succeed in, we are conditioned to think that what we want is beyond us? I think, I think, yeah, I think that's true. And, and I don't really know where it happens. You know, I've thought a little bit about this, but I think from a young age, you know, kids are asked that question, uh, what do you want to do when you grow up? And, and we hear all kinds of goofy answers. You know, I want to be a professional baseball player. I want to be an astronaut. I want to be the president. I want to, whatever it might be. And we're like, oh, that's cute, and you know, maybe we'll buy the kid a spacesuit for his birthday or something, and he'll be running around, whatever. But we encourage those things at a young age. But at some point, and I don't know where it happens, it it's, oh, what do you want to be when you grow up? Oh, I want to be a professional athlete. Oh, well, you know, do you do you know what it takes to be a professional athlete? Do you know what the chances of you making it in the NBA are? Do you do you do you really think you can do that? Maybe you should go do this instead. And you're just like. When did that happen? <laughs> and mind you, I think, you know, we have to be careful because those are prudent questions to ask. You know, we do want to go about things in a smart way. But when when did that change in, in philosophy and mindset happen? So I, I think I think we are conditioned to think that many things that we want are beyond us. You know, we, we look at all these people and we say, well, that could never be me. Well, I could never make that happen. Well, why the heck not? Right. You know, the, the difference between, difference between the, the, the haves and the have-nots, quote-unquote, the, the well-knowns and the never-knowns is, is, are those three principles that we talked about, execution and commitment. Right. Because, you know, you take a guy like LeBron James, you know, arguably the greatest basketball player to have ever lived. I'm not overly into sports, so I'm not going to get into all that discussion and whatnot. But if you can't say that he's at least arguably the best basketball player in the world, then you're probably an idiot. I mean, (laughs) it's just the truth. So but here's the thing. Do you think for a second that there's not some better basketball player out there somewhere? I think at least. Even even looking at the statistics, I think yeah, there's a better statistic. There's a better there's a better player out there somewhere. Why is LeBron in the spotlight? Means execution, commitment. Yeah. You know, you you look at you look at a guy like Johnny Depp. You look at Meryl Streep. You look at Tom Cruise. You look at all these big Hollywood names and all these people. I mean, how many aspiring actors are there? There's a ton. Everybody wants that life. Well, why is Meryl Streep in the spotlight and not so and so that we're never gonna hear of? Means, execution, commitment. They yeah. stayed with it. They were willing to make the sacrifice. They were willing to be persistent and pursue that which they wanted. They got beyond the mindset you're speaking of that so many of us are conditioned to have. And that even applies to normal jobs and normal things in life. It doesn't necessarily apply to these 
these huge things. It's with everything. You have to have the means, the execution, and the commitment. And at the same time, though, would you agree that we still need to be realistic with our goals? I know you mentioned, like, if you're my size, five foot eight, 150 pounds, you're probably not going to be a lineman for the Miami Dolphins. Yeah, no, and I gave I gave that exact example in uh, in my talk. It's like um, there there is a sense where we need to be sober, where we need to be wise, where we need to be prudent, and that's and that is one of the biggest challenges of life, and and is deciding where I just need to say the heck with this and go for it, and when I need to say whoa. That, that kind of is a dumb idea. Yeah. You know, it, it's figuring that out. Yeah. It's like, you know, you look at me, I, you know, I've got you beat. I'm five foot six, 140 some pounds. It's like, uh, especially, you know, when I got these chicken legs here. It's, you know, well, what do you want to be when you grow up? I, I want to be a, a lineman uh, for the uh, Dallas Cowboys. Look, dude, you're nuts. <laughs> yeah. Like, and I hope somebody would tell me that. Right. So there is a sense in which we need to be. We need to be wise. We need to be prudent. We need to be sober-minded about those things. And, and figuring out where that line is, I mean, that's that's why they call it discernment. That's, that's yeah. the, you know, that's the challenge. And it's important to be discerning and uh, examine yourself and look at what your skill sets are. And even if you don't have that skill set, maybe a skill that you can obtain or get better at, being that it's in the realistic realm. And also taking input from other people. Like you said, you would probably somebody would tell you you're crazy and they'd be right. So there might be things that even, you know, maybe you're good at or skilled at that you don't know about, but somebody gives you input on that and then that can help you out too. Yeah. And, and I think that goes back to one of the first things I said tonight is, uh, you know, self-awareness. Yeah. So let's talk about, we've been talking about the means to getting to success, the commitment. So let's talk about the definition of success itself. So like a lot of people, they define success as having expensive cars, money. But as you stated in, in your teaching, success is oftentimes subjective. And in a sense, we can almost define our own success with that. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, success doesn't always mean money, cars. And a lot of the times that's what that's what the culture is telling us. Yeah, that's a great point, and this is something I'm really passionate about, and uh, it's it's great that you brought it up because uh, I'll even one up you. You know, I would say success is always subjective, and I'm you know I'm a black and white kind of guy. I you know the truth is objective. I've got no problem looking at somebody and saying, "Hey, you're wrong." Yeah. You know this. We we kind of live in this uh, postmodern society. Uh, I think technically we're actually post postmodern, whatever the heck that means. <laughs> but you know the 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 those sub objective sentiments where everybody's truth is true for them, regardless of whatever is actually true, that sentiment is, is flowing, it's circulating, it's alive and well. And, and the truth of the matter is there is a truth. Some people are right and some people are wrong. And um, when it comes to success, though, I would say it's entirely subjective. You do define your own success and, and society is telling you what it is. You know, one thing that really gets me about the entrepreneurial space and everything is all these people, you know, they got these Facebook groups and all this stuff and they say, well, type yes if you're going to be the next millionaire. And, and they have these advertisements and these ads and all this stuff and, and they got their next to these expensive cars with, with half naked women and all this other stuff trying to get these people to buy their next course or jump 
on the bandwagon or whatever it might be. And I'm just like, this is such trash. Yeah, I agree. And it, and it makes me so mad. And I think part of my disdain from it is at one point, you know, even as a Christian, I got sucked into that. You know, I got to be honest, when I started down this road with this seminar, all, all I could think about was, you know, flying around somewhere on some private jet because, you know, public speakers make a heck of a lot of money. Yeah. We're talking 10 to 50 G's a pop. You know, for an hour talk, depending on how in demand you are. But but it just disgusts me so much because success is subjective. You know, just because a guy doesn't have X amount of dollars in the bank or he drives a jalopy or he doesn't live in a certain size house, you know, that does not in any way define his success. I quoted John Wooden in the talk. He's a basketball coach uh, from way back when. And uh, he said this. This is how he defined success. He said, success is a peace of mind or a state of mind that is a direct result of self-satisfaction in doing your best to become the best that you are capable of becoming. Okay, So it's a peace of mind that is a direct result of self-satisfaction in knowing that you did your best to become the best that you are capable of becoming. That definition is great because it highlights the subjectivity of success. It takes into consideration your personal abilities. It's like, are you doing your best to become the best that you personally are capable of becoming? I might really want to be that linebacker for the Dallas Cowboys, but the truth is I am not physically capable of doing that. I'm not. But what am I capable of doing? And am I doing my best to pursue that? It's totally subjective. You know, there can be successful athletes, there can be successful retail managers, successful doctors, successful custodians, successful garbage men, successful landscapers. Like, And these people, they could live in a 5,000 square foot house. They could live in a 900 square foot studio apartment. Doesn't define their success. It is subjective. I agree. I know for me personally, you know, eventually I want to have a family, uh, wife and kids, and I want to be able to support that family. And if that means I'm still doing the job I'm doing, maybe making 35000 a year, if I'm able to support my family off that and I know I'm doing my best with that, to me, that's success. Yeah, amen. And, and you know, that's one reason I really like Gary Vee is, uh, you know, he talks about that. You know, he, he really tries to motivate people. I like him a lot. And... Uh, you know, he, he doesn't try to sell you his dream, his idea. And so many of these people out there, that's what they're trying to do. But he looks right out and he says, hey, if you're just the kind of person that wants to go on vacation once a year and, and take your family out and support your family, then you're going to have to do X, Y, Z. But if you want the Jets, if you want this, that, and the other, then you're going to have to do this, that, and the other. It's like, and that goes back to the previous principle we were talking about planning, about goal setting and those things. You have to know what you want. And um, again, I, I would go back to what we were talking about, just about commending a simple life. Because no matter how extravagant of a life you live, at some point, it's the novelty of that is going to wear off. It is not going to sustain you. And, you know, you talked about just having a family and whatnot. And, uh, you know, I have the same desires. And G.K. Chesterton said, uh, there is nothing so extraordinary as an ordinary man and an ordinary woman and their ordinary children. It's like the ordinary, the simple things are actually the substance of life.
you know, subservient to God, of course, but that, that's that's what we're talking about here. And there's so many simple things that we can enjoy. That's right. I mean, uh, I don't need millions of dollars to enjoy a day at the lake fishing. I love to fish. I don't need a million dollars to to train my jujitsu. You know, those are simple things, and I I find enjoyment out of them. And to me, that's really all that matters. I don't need the Ferrari. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm with you. I mean, I, I mean, there are. A lot I'd love of... to ride in a Ferrari. Don't get me wrong. They're they're but... nice. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so I know at one point, and maybe we're gonna take you out of your comfort zone here for a second. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. Talking about this story, um, but at one point you you were kind of chasing the big stuff. Yeah. Uh, the money, the fame, and you, you at one point wanted to be an actor. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I did. And you had a bad experience with with that whole endeavor, and but but I think at the end of the day, you talked. It, it helped you create a better mindset. So, I, I mean, I'd like you to explain that. Yeah, you know what? And again, I, I don't even know if I'd call it a bad experience, but but the point is, is uh, you know, I, I did set out and uh, to Hollywood for and uh, you know, I'm not gonna eat up all our minutes here now. You know, if you want to hear. Uh, you know, check check it out on YouTube. But uh, you know, I went out to to North Hollywood. I, I had a place lined up to live out there, and and I went out of there for for glory, for fame, for all the wrong reasons. And I and I fell flat on my face. You know, I was driving around Southern California, just you know, weeping. I I just was lost. I was in a very bad place, and uh, you know, I didn't even unpack my car. Uh, with all my stuff, and I, I drove uh, out to see a friend of mine, and, and uh, it's interesting what you remember, but he was going to a Christian college out there, a uh, college that I actually now uh, take classes from or just finished a class at, and, um, you know, I just remember going up there and just asking him to pray for me, and he did, and I uh, I left Southern California to drive back home, and, uh, you know, God used that in my life, you know, uh, to just it was it was instrumental in my conversion and my turning to him and it's a lesson i continually learn that everything that i thought i knew was right everything i thought that i wanted was all wrong and and it's something that i continually learn continue to learn that lesson you know i don't i don't have the same desires to go out and be an actor and stuff but you know i i think i have this thing called life figured out and then I fall on my face and say, hey, idiot, like you, you were wrong about that, too, you know, and uh, and, you know, God's gracious in, in his lessons. But uh, it, it's it's a learning process and, and, and you have to learn to love the process. You know, again, this this goes back to kind of Seneca here. You know, if we're only focused on the destination, on, on yearning to get to some point in the future, we're going to miss out. But but life actually happens on the road there it happens in the journey i mean that sounds kind of cheesy but but it's true and the journey doesn't end until it ends yeah i mean uh that learning process doesn't stop and and this brings me back to jocko where he said uh you know when you're 13 you say when i'm you think you have it figured out at 13 then you hit 15 or 16 and you're like i didn't know anything but i have it figured out now and then you hit 21, man, when I was 15, I didn't know anything, but I got it now and so on and so forth. Yeah. Amen. So, so the process really never stops. 
No, um, it doesn't. I mean, if you stop learning, you might as well stop breathing. Yeah. And uh, it's not a bad process, like you said. Uh, it can be painful. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, and, and embarrassing. And you know what? A lot of it, too, is, and this is another place I, 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 I constantly try to encourage myself, and I, I think others would be so much better in so many different ways and so many different contexts if they could get past being mastered over what other people think of them. Because so much of the pain is is a, is a wounded pride. It's uh, it's embarrassment. It's oh, what are they going to think of me? They're going to think this is stupid. And and you know what? At the end of the day, people aren't paying as much attention to you as you think they are. They actually don't <laughs> care about you. I learned that lesson dancing. You know, I, I got out on the dance floor. I I took ballroom dancing lessons for a while, and I'm like, man, I really suck at this. You know, I just started out and. And uh, I'm like, what are people thinking? How do I look out here? And and then I looked up and I realized there's all these people and none of them are looking at me. Yeah. They don't care. <laughs> I'm not as important as I think I am. Go figure. <laughs> and if we could get past that, who knows what we could accomplish. That brings me to a good point. If you're able to combat the voices within, then the voices without will never bother you. Yeah. Amen. Yeah, that's... that's uh, yeah, that's a that's a great quote. I wonder who said that. Uh, that would be you, man. Yeah, <laughs> right. Um, but uh, no, it's it's true, it's true, and it's probably not original to me. Somebody else said. I don't I don't know. There's my my head sometimes just feels like a big filing cabinet. I, I wish I could remember half the stuff that's filed in there, but you know, it's just one of those things. But I uh, wish I had half the stuff that was filed in there in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's kind of well, I, you know, there's a lot of pointless drivel in there too. Let me tell you, but um, no, that's so true. You know, the 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 primary battle is a battle of self, and and. If you can get comfortable with who you are, this goes back to the very first thing you asked me tonight. If you can get comfortable with who you are, you are thereby able to overcome so many of the obstacles that we've been discussing, getting past that comfort zone and beyond. Because you know who you are and you're okay with it. You're comfortable with it. If you're not okay with it, then make the necessary changes. But but once you develop that self-awareness, once you get comfortable in your own skin, and, and I think part of this comes with age, comes with experience, it comes with maturity, it all plays. I used to think age was just a number. It's not. It actually means something. <laughs> Okay, as you get older and, and, and become more comfortable with who you are, you stop giving a rip about what people think. I mean, it's still a temptation. It's still a tendency of mine. I, there are still times where I'm kind of hesitant or act a certain way because even if it's in a way that I can't quite perceive, I'm, I'm caring. I, I just I'm hesitating, you know, because I'm worried what somebody's going to think. But you will become more comfortable in your own shoes as you grow as a person. And uh, if you aren't, then then that's a huge problem. Yeah. If you're not moving to be the person that you want to be, then 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 you've got a problem. You're moving in the wrong direction. And a lot of times, in that process of becoming comfortable with who you are, it is that voice within that's the issue. Yeah, that's a good word. Um, a lot of the, t- I mean, yeah, it can be the voices without. You know, well, this person thinks this, but at the end of the day. Even those voices without influence the inner voice. So um, being able just to combat your own mindset and what you think, changing that thinking. And I think that's one of the hardest things to do a lot of times. Yeah, We're so self-critical of ourselves. Um, 
and and that's the biggest fight in my opinion with with all this is getting over that voice within yeah i i agree so i agree Anything else you want to go over with this? That's about all the questions I have. Um, yeah, no, honestly, I just, um, you know, I want people to have a, I want people to have an eye towards eternity, you know, and that, that I'll be honest, that really put a break on, on my kind of pursuits in this kind of public speaking thing is, you know, I'm, all, I'm always asking myself to what extent can I help people, you know, and, and not just make their lives more comfortable on their way to hell. You know, I have an audience here and, and, you know, I, I work in, I work in a secular environment. You know, I, I, uh, I'm a Dean of students at a, at an intermediate school and I get to, I get to help kids in life and, 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 you know, work through situations and stuff. And, and that's such a great opportunity. And I'm, you know, I'm obviously not, you know, I'm not talking about, you know, the gospel. I'm not talking about my faith directly in that type of environment, but, you know, I am just sharing Hey, you know this is this is wise living. This is what's right. This is what's wrong. This is how we should look at these things. I am imparting just a general kind of wisdom to there, but I just um, my my caution is and, and is that people get so focused on the now that they that they don't have any regard for you know their soul, where they are going to spend eternity. And on the other side of that is like you know just I I, I do want to help people now. You know I. I you know, the seminar, this interview, like, you know, God and his providence has taught me all these things. I've experienced all these things and derived all these axioms and these principles. And, and I, I don't want to share them. I want people to know. I, I want people to be helped. I, I love this. Again, I love communicating. I, I, I love what we're doing right now. And so I just, as you, as you seek to, quote unquote, live your life, right, back to the title of, of the, the talk I gave, I, I just... Don't be too focused on the now at the expense of the then, you know, think, think ultimately it's, and again, I, I said this at the beginning of our interview, it's living well now with an eye on eternity and, and man, I'm, I'm still trying to figure out how all that works together because, because there, there is a huge tension there and, and we're living in it. So I, I want people to be helped. I hope people are helped by this interview, by my talk, by any any way I can help them out if they message me or get a hold of me or and you know even even my kids you know even even the people I interact with on a day-to-day -day basis who I'm not directly sharing my faith with you know I hope I can be a, a help to them but uh, but I do also care for you know people's souls and you know I'm a Christian and you know I believe that you know people people need to go to Jesus Christ and uh, and and be saved be forgiven by the grace of God so uh, so that's the burden on my heart is that very tension. I'd agree with you. Uh, with that makes, like you said, uh, when you know that you have an eternity with God to look forward to, I mean, there's really nothing in this life that can shake that ultimately. No. And you know what, though? It, uh, it doesn't. It doesn't negate very real desires and very good desires that we have. Now, earlier you talked about wanting a family and stuff. And, I mean, that's great. Go after that. You know, it's it's not, uh, well, I'm going to die and go to heaven someday, so who cares about what's going on now? Yeah. You know, that's not that's not real. That's not how we live. And and so I, I do want to be a help to people on the here and the now. You know, I don't, 
I don't share my faith with everybody I meet in every single context. If I, you know, I, I if you were a car salesman and you tried to share your faith with every single person, you wouldn't sell any cars. You get fired. <laughs> okay. Right. Uh, you know, same deal with me. You know, I, I, you know, in nowadays especially, you know, you you got to be careful what you, what you say in 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 public schools and whatnot. And uh, you know, I don't, uh, you know, if I'm asked, I don't, I don't shy away from my faith or what or whatnot. But again, you know, when I'm talking to kids, even when I'm talking to colleagues, you know, I'm not not necessarily directly talking about my faith, but I act and I live in such a way that is necessarily informed by my core beliefs and my core values. And I think that makes me a, a better employee, a better mentor to these kids, a better teacher to these kids, and and hopefully a better example of just. Uh, you know what what we ought to be as men and uh, and as people in general I, I hope you know I have my own shortcomings that are too numerous to name uh, but uh, you know I, I hope that's kind of what I'm I'm displaying you know by God's grace out there in the world yeah absolutely well Mick I'm glad you came on I thought I thought this was great yeah no I enjoyed it thanks for having me I, I'm really glad uh, I know we've been missing each other on the calendar here for a while, but I'm, I'm glad we, I'm thankful we got to sit down and do this. I'm sure we'll do it again too. Yeah. Cause I really I'd enjoyed love having you on. Yeah. I'd so, love that. All right, guys, that's, that's all we got for today. Um, if you haven't already check out episode one, it's about dating apps. Mick loved it. It was good. <laughs> I, I was good. I, I enjoyed it. I had to listen to it before I agreed to, to come on here. I had to know what we were dealing with, you know, but no, it was good. All right, that was The Common Consensus, episode number two. Thanks for listening.